Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Now today we'll be studying in the book of James chapter 4. And I'll be reading as usual from the New International Version. So let's jump right in and and get started. I'm reading verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Continuing, James is continuing his, his discourse on satanic wisdom here. And uh, as you remember in the last session, we talked about uh, two different kinds of wisdom, uh, uh, godly wisdom, the wisdom that leads us to justice and to righteousness and kindness that leads us to do the right things. And then there's satanic wisdom that leads us uh, how to do wrong things or it inspires us to do wrong things and gives us uh, strategy and knowledge on how to do wrong things. And and so James is continuing that, and he's talking about how um, evil desires and all of these things that uh, we grapple with, that people get grapple with in their lives, um, are, are from the satanic type of wisdom. Evil desires or selfish ambition create contention and, and quarrels. And, and James speaks of an army of evil desires that... Um, that we have to, as Christians, we have to uh, repel and grapple with. Uh, but those who don't know Christ uh, may just give in to those things. Those who are filled with selfish desires and uh, are are uh, the most difficult kind of people to deal with. They continually stir up trouble, and and because um, they're so troubled inside, all the things that they uh, want and and they can't obtain. Uh, really frustrates them, and that comes out. These desires foment like a, a storm inside of them, and and it comes out in in their different kinds of moods and and volatile, quarrelsome, uh, and sometimes even violent behavior. James called these desires evil, not because the things desired are necessarily innately evil, but it's because. Uh, of the devices that people use to try to get what they want uh, are evil. People are, are envious and deceptive, and uh, they do things that are ungodly just to try to fulfill their desires. And that's what that's what James is talking about here. Now I'm reading verse 2. You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So along with evil desires or selfish ambitions comes satanic wisdom suggesting schemes on how to, to obtain what a person wants. Uh, satanic schemes often include quarreling and fighting and, and um, James says even killing in some cases. People kill to get what they want. Those are satanic schemes. They come up with different devices to either deceive a person into uh, giving up what they have. They find a way 
to leverage themselves so that they can get what they want in an ungodly way. Now, when our desires are evil, envy and jealousy toward others who possess what we uh, desire is, is included in the mix. When our desires are, are ungodly, then we're going to experience jealousy. We're going to experience uh, envy and those, those kinds of things that are satanically driven they are from the devil. Um, certainly we have our own proclivities toward uh, doing what is wrong if we're, if we're not careful, if we're giving in to, to, to sin or sinful behavior. But uh, those who, have, have, uh, who are unbelievers, uh, those who, who uh, just don't follow God and, and don't care about following, following God, give themselves over to this kind of behavior. Uh, the person operating under satanic wisdom cannot rejoice over the accomplishments of other people. Uh, they become envious when someone else accomplishes something. Uh, they can't rejoice with them. And, and, and so they become envious of them and, and begin to talk down their, their accomplishments or, or the things that they've acquired in life. They just can't uh, uh, be happy for someone else. That's a sat uh, satanic inspiration is behind that kind of behavior. Uh, and it will even manifest itself in, in a Christian's life. So we have to resist that kind of evil uh, and we have to do what is right. God tells us to Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So even when we don't feel uh, joyful about a situation, it's good to just obey God. Pray about your deficiencies. Pray that God will bring your feelings into line with his will. Uh, we can't often control our feelings on a whim, but we can control our actions. And so God uh, demands that we control our actions. We pray about our feelings and God will help us through these things. Now I'm reading verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So praying for what is desired is a last resort for people who don't follow God. They try everything else first. They, um, they use ungodly tactics to get what they want. That is people who have no regard for, for God. I don't mean every person who is not a believer um, operates this way. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, but there are some who do. There are many who do. Uh, and uh, so what they do is they, they try their own strategies first to get what they want. And when their strategies fail, then they pray. They're wanting something. Um that they shouldn't have, or they wanted it for the wrong motive. They wanted it to consume it upon their lust, the Bible says. Uh, and so first they try other tactics to get it. And when they, when everything else fails, then they resort to praying. And, and then they become frustrated when they pray because uh, after trying even prayer, prayer is the last resort, they come up empty. They don't get what they want. They're asking God for something out of selfish ambition or out of jealousy and envy, uh, and God doesn't respond to that. Now, it's important to note that James is not suggesting that desiring things that give pleasure is wrong. He's not saying that that's wrong. The psalmist declared that at God's right hand are pleasures evermore. That's Psalm 1611. So, but what James is revealing to us, he's revealing the selfish 
the uh, motives inside the person. The person, the, uh, the only thing that they want is something that gives them pleasure. They don't seek after the things of God. Uh, they're never. They're not willing to make uh, sacrifices for other people. Uh, they're just consumed with pleasures for themselves, and that's what James is talking about here. This person is warped, unbalanced, and unspiritual, like Esau. Esau, uh, his only thought was to get material things, so he was willing to sell his birthright to his brother um, for a mess of pottage, for a pot of soup, uh, and because he didn't care about spiritual things. So that's what James is talking about. People who care nothing about spiritual things, they're only consumed and uh, concerned about what is material and what they can spend on their pleasures. Now I'm reading verse four. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, James is not issuing condemnation for enjoying the things of the world. That's what not what he's talking about. God has given us all things to enjoy. He's condemning the selfish pursuit of these things. He's condemning the selfish attitude that people have who are uh, pursuing material gain. Okay, so their priority, priority of their life is is uh, just to get material things. And that's what James is talking about. Um, God has given us many, many good things. In fact, all things are ours. And, and everything that is not ungodly uh, is wholesome to us. God's given us nature. He's given us this entire creation. Uh, he's given us, uh, we can have clothes and cars and we can have um, homes and money and all of those things as long as we are willing to put God first in our lives. If if spiritual things have primary place in our lives, if God had the number one place in our lives, he will, along with Christ, give us all things to enjoy. The Bible tells us that. But when material things sit on the throne in our lives, uh, material things becomes God to us, money and, and, and wealth and material, when that becomes our primary pursuit, then certainly God does not allow that. He won't work with that, and he won't cooperate in that kind of, endive, in, uh, kind of endeavor. The Bible tells us that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. So it lets us know that God wants us to have and enjoy material things. He just wants us to do it with the right attitude. Now, when James speaks about enjoying the world. He is speaking more about uh, the attitude toward acquiring and using uh, the things uh, of the world rather than the things themselves. If we place, again, the pursuit uh, of everything else, if we devote ourselves to the pursuit of material things, then God is not pleased with that. We, we fall under the control and the desires of our flesh and, and of, of the things that we see. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, money, material things cannot have number one place in our lives. Now, when we are willing to violate God's laws to get the things that we want, then we fall into idolatry. And at the root of such desires is pride. That's what James is telling us. 
many of the things that we find ourselves wanting when our motivations are uh, driven by lust is the, is the uh, primary purpose of showing off what we have. We just want to get it so that we can show it off to other people and, and uh, style. Uh, but that should not be our primary motivation. Of course, God wants to bless us. God wants to honor us. Um, as we humble ourselves and keep him first, he will do many, many wonderful things in our lives. The Apostle John put it this way, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, these are the things that God calls worldly. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's 1 John 2 and 15 and 16 in the King James Version. So this passage, of course, has, has often been used and abused to promote legalism. That is, by labeling many things as worldly. People want to call everything worldly. Um, they're misguided um, in their assessment of this when, when people condemn everything, every material thing, as, as worldly. James is not talking about the things. He's talking about the lustful desire, the selfish attitude, uh, the me-first attitude, and, and that desire just to have material things and uh, to take God or leave God. Things such as jewelry and certain hairstyle, involvement in sports activities, certain kinds of music or styles or, uh, of modest clothing, even voting in elections and, 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 and these kinds of things are a few examples of things that, that people have labeled as worldly. They want to call everything worldly. But James is not talking about just plain material things. He's talking about our attitude toward material things. Now, worldliness is defined by James as the lust of the flesh. That's worldly. The lust of the eyes. That's worldly. And the pride of life. That's worldly. When we uh, want what we want, we get what we want, and then we want to parade in pride, and we want to, to show everybody, show off to everybody, and show everybody that we're above them, we're higher on the ladder than they are, um, we're just parading around like a bunch of peacocks. That's worldly. So to have things, to have material things, as long as our hearts are right with God, as long as we're willing to share what we have, uh, as long as we're not willing to climb on top of people to get what we have, then God blesses us with all kinds of things. And uh, as long as uh, we have the things and the things don't have us, we're okay in the sight of God. Okay? Now, these kind of attitudes, attitudes of selfishness and pride and, and lust, they are at enmity with God, the Bible says, that the, uh, the world is an enemy of God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And pride is one of the seven things that God says that he hates. So to love the world, and James says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. To love the world is to embrace the corrupt ways of the world and to desire the things in the world uh, more than we desire uh, God himself or desire to please God. If pleasing God is our number one priority, if serving God is our num number one priority, if we're 
willing to to uh, acquiesce to God and bring whatever it is that we want under his control uh, and under his lordship, then there are many things that we can have that that uh, God will bless. Uh, he won't stand against it. He'll bless us with those things. He's given us all things to enjoy. Well, John says that when we have uh, this selfish kind of attitude, then uh, uh, we have a love for the world. We're willing to do corrupt things to get what we want. When our motivation is just pride and, and arrogance, um, then we're loving the world and we are acting like the world. Now, verse five here. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? God is grieved when we claim to be his children and betray him by following the corrupt ways of the world. It's like one spouse betraying another by violating the, the, the wedding vows and, and taking up with other lovers. Uh, so God is he's jealous concerning that. He wants us to, to serve him. He doesn't want us to be greedy or selfish or corrupt, um, that makes him jealous because we are flirting with satanic things and satanic wisdom. Uh, we are flirting with idolatry and it's idolatry to put other things uh, and, uh, and uh, to embrace corrupt ways and put those ahead of God. Uh, to turn into a corrupt way of doing things is to rebel against God, is to turn against God, is to violate our allegiance to God and our commitment to serve God and to follow his ways. Wisdom leads us, godly wisdom leads us down the path of justice, um, down the path of righteousness. Proverbs chapter eight and verse 20 tells us that. I walk in the way of righteousness along the path of justice. So when we're doing God's bidding, uh, we're in line, we're in harmony with his will. When we're doing the things that please him, then, then we are flowing and in perfect accord with, with God's will and his way. When we turn over into corruption, then we're violating our vows to God to walk like him and to follow his ways. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, jealously longs for us to be faithful and loyal to God and to resist the corrupt ways of the world. God makes his feelings clear about this. He said, do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That's in Exodus 34 and 14. So God wants us to faithfully obey him and, and embrace godly values, not corrupt values. When we embrace corrupt values, then we're flirting with Satan and his demonic uh, realm. Now I'm reading verses 6 through 7. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, it's important to realize that every Christian is tempted by the corrupting influences of this world. We all experience jealousy. We all experience selfish and other, selfishness and other sinful Desires. We experience pride and the temptation to be ahead um, 
and and we we uh, we experience the temptation to do things by dishonest means that's presented to us. The sin is not in the presentation. It's not in being tempted to do things. The sin is when we yield to that temptation and begin to follow it. So James offers four important pieces of advice to those who want to avoid or escape the corrupt ways of this world. Number one, he says, um, James makes us aware of, of the strength to stand against these evil desires that is in God. God will give us the strength to stand against these evil desires. We, we don't have the capacity within ourselves uh, to resist the corruption of the world apart from God. So we must appeal to him in prayer. So James encourages us to turn not to our own strength, but to rely on God's strength to help us to resist these temptations. Secondly, James reminds us that God stands against the proud, okay? So rather than expecting help from God while we're embracing pride, we can expect God to resist or uh, oppose the things that we're attempting to accomplish or to obtain uh, when we are moving in pride. So James says the way to get God uh, working with you is to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time, the Bible says. Thirdly, James informs us that God gives grace to the humble. And there we are. Um, those who choose to humble themselves rather than engage in pride and boastful behavior will find God as their ally. God will work with us when we're, when we're humble uh, and, and we're not lifted up in pride and arrogance then God delights in blessing us. He blesses, he gives grace to the humble. And fourthly, after humbling ourselves, we should resist the corrupting influences of the devil. We should use the strength that God gives to actively resist that. If we humble ourselves and resist Satan, the Bible says that he will flee from us. Now, one way to resist the devil is to practice doing just the opposite of what he is compelling us to do, what he is tempting us to do. In his epistle to the Romans, Paul advises us to rejoice with them who rejoice. And I mentioned this passage earlier. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's Romans 12, 15. Despite any feelings of jealousy or resentment that you might have um, for someone else's success, resist that desire to vent those feelings. Uh, don't go around and say negative things about their blessing. Say only positive things. Bless them. And if, if they've gotten a new home, um, compliment them on their home and even go against the, the jealous feelings or the envious feelings within you and buy them a housewarming gift. But just make sure that you don't use your mouth or any other part of your body to express your feelings of jealousy, and then, of course, ask God to remove that. Ask God to change your attitude and help you to be genuinely happy in your heart for other people, and God will work that. Uh, if you obey God in what you can do, God will uh, He'll bless you in what you can't do. It may seem hypocritical to celebrate the accomplishments of someone else when, when you don't feel it in your heart, when you're really not feeling it, but it's not hypocritical. 
uh, it's obedience. You're obeying God as long as you don't go and say one nice thing, give them a compliment, and then go behind their back and talk about them. Now, that's the that's hypocrisy. Um, but you're opposing the evil that the, the enemy is trying to work up in you by uh, refusing to play on that, refusing to express those feelings. And instead, you're opposing those feelings by your action, you're doing exactly the opposite of what the enemy is compelling you to do. You're blessing them. You're encouraging them. You're praising uh, their accomplishment. And in no way will you uh, uh, undermine that by going around and saying negative things or doing negative things uh, uh, after you said some good things and done some good things. So just sow good seed. That's sowing good seed. Sow good seed. Pray about your feelings and God will help you through this situation. Amen. Now, verse eight, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw close to God, James says, and God will draw close to you. This is uh, very important to note because sometimes we may think that because our conduct has been so Sinful God has abandoned us, and he has not abandoned us. You remember that Peter, um, he denied the Lord when, uh, when, when, when Jesus needed him most. He denied the Lord, and then he, he cursed, um, and then, of course, the, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said it would happen, and the Lord looked at him. And certainly Jesus, uh, Peter was bitter in his heart, I mean, uh, bitterly remorseful, I should say. Uh, about that. Uh, but Jesus didn't hold that against him. Jesus came to him and reaffirmed him. But when we fail and when we sin, don't run away from God, run to God, draw close to God and make it a habit of our lives to draw near to God. Certainly confess your sin before him and, and tell him what you've done and and tell him how you feel about what you've done and pour out your heart to God and ask him to help you to overcome those sins. We draw near to God and he draws near to us and he'll help us to, to get over those things. He'll help us to, to overcome the sin and he'll help us to get rid of the guilt. The phrase where James says, wash your hands means to repent and make a break with uh, the old corrupt way of living giving in to selfish pride and ambition, quarreling and fighting and slandering and seeking to harm other people, that's, that's evil, that's wicked. And so James is saying, wash your hands of that, make a break of that. Determine that you're not going to act that way anymore. You're going to walk like Christ. You're going to act like a Christian. You're going to use his strength to live like he says to live. We can no longer abandon the right ways of the Lord when we become Christians. We can't do wrong to get money or position or, or possessions. We've got to do things God's way. When we become Christians, we want to walk by his rule. And rather than boasting in our own accomplishments, we must give glory and honor to God for the blessings and the things that we accomplish in our lives because we don't do it in our own strength. God is working in us ever so subtly, and he is accomplishing these things in our lives. We purify our hearts by confessing our sins to God and asking him to 
cleanse us from our, from our unrighteousness. As we make the effort to turn from wickedness, it's important to ask God to stand with us and to give us the strength that we need to stand. The Bible says, work out your own salvation. Philippians 2 and 12 and 13, I believe it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So uh, we work with the strength of God and God helps us to change and to do what he'll have us to do. Now I'm reading verse nine. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. So now there's a time to embrace grief and grief and sadness and to put away joy and gladness. That time is when we have sinned. When we have sinned, it's not a time to rejoice, not a time to be glad. It's not a time to be smug. It's a time to repent and to mourn and to embrace sadness, to, to have remorse over our sin. Um, when we sin against God and come to the realization of our sin, uh, it's spiritually healthy to enter into a time of sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, the Bible says. And uh, uh, so when we've done wrong, uh, we should be sad about it, and we should embrace that sadness, and we should repent before God, ask his forgiveness, ask his pardon with a sincere heart, and then God will uh, cleanse us, he will forgive us, he will cleanse us, and he will restore our joy. After we have repented before God and gone down and embraced our, our sorrow and our sadness for our wrong, then he will give us joy for our ashes. He will give us joy for our sorrow and we can get up and rejoice that we've done the right thing in, in God. Uh, so such sorrow must accompany our decision to turn from sinful actions and seek forgiveness. We can't display a cavalier attitude about our sins. When we've committed sin. We can't just go on like, uh, like it's all covered and it is covered, but we need to repent of it and we need to have God to forgive us of it we need to demonstrate that remorse. Now, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up, okay? So rather than boasting in our own ability to acquire things, the things that we want and need and, and to accomplish certain goals, don't boast in yourself in your ability. We're urged to realize that we're dependent upon God. It's important that God gives us the sanity uh, to, it's important for us to acknowledge that, to understand that we could, couldn't string two thoughts together without God's help. God gives us the sanity and then he gives us the strength and he gives us the power to get well, to function in the world, to accomplish things, and even to get well. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. That's in Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and have our existence. So, and it's, and it is as of God, the Bible says it is of his mercies that we are not consumed even. So God gives the gift of strength. He gives the gift of sanity and the ability to flow. It all constantly comes from him. We're, we're so accustomed to enjoying good health, uh, strong, healthy bodies, the ability to think, the ability to 
to do things, to move about in the world independently. Um, but a lot of times we don't stop to realize that God is supplying us all of these gracious things. There was a king in the Bible named Nebuchadnezzar. He was a uh, king of Babylonia. He actually, he ruled the world at this time. Uh, and he became lifted up in pride and he began to boast in his accomplishment. Is this not the great Babylon, which I have built by my own power and might, he said. And of course, Daniel warned him uh, about his pride, um, but he didn't heed it. He kept strutting around in pride. And then one day God took his sanity. Uh, he went stark raving mad, thought he was a donkey or a, a, or a cow uh, or something. And he began to wander around out in the wilderness, eating grass like an ox, okay? because God took away his sanity. Now, God kept him that way for seven years, maintained his kingdom for him. And then at the end of seven years, he gave him his sanity back. And then the man realized that everything comes from God. So he became a worshiper of God. So it's important that God, for us to understand that God is the supplier of our intellect. Uh, the power to think the simplest thoughts come from him. And so we should live our lives in a way to where we're always giving thanks. We're humbling ourselves under his mighty hand, and we are to thank him for everything that comes to pass in our life, everything that he allows us to accomplish, everything that, 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 uh, that we obtain in this life, we should give praise and thanks to God for it. Now, verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Words are tools. They can be used for, for evil or for good. As God's children, he wants us to use our words not to do evil, but to do good. We are to encourage people. We are to lift people up. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to build up, not, not uh, use his gift of language uh, to gossip, to criticize and condemn other people. Uh, we are not to violate his commandment and plant and, and plant seeds of confusion and hostility. We are to obey him and plant seeds of peace. We're to bless each other and to encourage each other. Negative words are seeds of quarrels and, and fights. It's important for us to carefully monitor what we say, what comes out of our mouth, um, to make sure that our words promote peace and kindness. And in those times when we must rebuke or correct someone's action, the Bible tells us that we are to do it with love, that our words are to always be with grace Seasoned with salt, Colossians 4, 6 says. So we should always speak the truth, but speak it in love with, with meekness. Remember, harsh words stir up anger. Kind words turn away wrath. Now, when we judge and criticize others for their faults and sins, our words come hurling back to us. They strike us um, with, a, with, with great force because of our weaknesses. We become even more vulnerable when we're criticizing other people, talking about them, magnifying their faults, their sins. Um, then our vulner, 
vulnerabilities are exposed. We become tempted in certain areas. We, we, we experience weakness. Uh, it could be um, the reason that you're struggling with sin in your own life and you can't get over sin in your own life is because you're criticizing other people. You're pointing at their sins and magnifying their sins and gossiping about their failures and weaknesses. And when that happens, it turns around on you. It comes back on you. You become weak yourself and you're susceptible to falling into sin yourself. Listen to what Jesus said here. Jesus said, stop judging others and you'll not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. That's Luke 6, 37. Now the word judge means to criticize or to condemn somebody on moral ground. So Jesus didn't condemn the woman who was caught in adultery. Um, he restored her. He lifted her up. He didn't condemn the woman at the well who had had all of those husbands. I believe it was five. Um, he lifted her up. He gave her the truth and he led her out of that lifestyle. And so that's what we are. We're called to be builders and not destroyers. Judging and criticizing others for their sins is also a, a sign of the fact that we're unwilling to forgive their sins. Whether or not it has affected us, if we're carrying it around, we're magnifying it, we're, we're demonstrating a fact that we're unforgiving in that area. And if we're not willing to forgive other people, um, then when we do wrong, and believe me, you're going to do wrong, you're going to come up short, then uh, God will hold that on us. We have to be willing to forgive other people. Now, James says when we criticize when, and, and, and condemn each other, we're blatantly disregarding God's law. And by our actions, we're condemning it as unworthy of our obedience and our adherence. Now I'm reading verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So James is emphatic in declaring that as individuals, we are incapable of judging others. God alone has the wisdom and the insight to judge and pass sentence on other people. Now I'm reading verse 13 through 16. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if, the, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So now James is saying that since our lives are so temporal and uncertain, we cannot be definite about our plans for the future. Uh, we can't be absolute we, uh, about what we're going to do tomorrow or even later on today. Um, things happen so fast. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We're, sometimes we're here today and gone today. So we don't know where we're going to be. And when, and when we speak emphatically about what we're going to do without, um, you know, uh, without qualifying that by saying, if the Lord's will, uh, we could say something like, God willing, I'll do this or that. If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. 
And that is demonstrating the fact that we are aware of our mortality, um, of our uh, temporal existence. We're just here for a short time. James uh, compares our fragile and temporary existence on this earth like a fog, a mist. He says, you're like a vapor. You're here for an instant and you vanish away. And uh, I've seen so many funerals lately. So many people are dying, young and old. And it looks like the younger people are dying faster than the older ones. So we cannot say what we're going to do. If we uh, know this and we're, we're still emphatic about saying what we're going to do, then James says that we're boasting. We're boasting in our ability to know the future. Uh, we're uh, boasting and we're saying that we're definitely going to do this because we're able to do this. And we don't know what um, circumstances are going to arise in the future, in the near future and the distant future. So we humble ourselves by qualifying what we say by saying if it's the Lord's will, okay? All right, now I'm reading verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James closes this chapter by reminding us of the sin of neglect. Every bit of instruction contained in his epistle is intended to become the practice of the practice of our lives as Christians. Okay. So he says, now we know what's right to do. Then we should do it. Once we've been informed about God's will, uh, we're responsible to adhere to that will. We're responsible to practice, put into practice what he tells us to do. Amen. Jesus said the servant uh, will be severely punished for, uh, for knowing what to do and not doing it in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48. So uh, it's one thing to be ignorant of God's will and, and not carry it out. It's another thing to be informed and, and still not carry out. That's rebellion. When we know what to do and we don't do it, then we're rebelling against God. And then God will deal with us about that. Well, that brings us to the close of James chapter four. Next time we will cover chapter five. So until next time, my wish to you is that may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast.